Florida Matters is supported by WUSF members just like you. Your donation of $5 or $25 will help ensure public radio thrives. And thanks to Candy Olson, an additional $50 will be added to your donation. Visit WUSF.org match to maximize your gift today. Plant City may be best known for its annual strawberry festival, but there's so much more to the Hillsborough community. This is Florida Matters. From the studios of WUSF Public Media, I'm Robin Sussingham. Plant City is located just off I-4 between Tampa and Lakeland. The community's history is steeped in agriculture, which has led many to believe it gets its name from the plants that it produces. But Plant City was actually named after railroad developer Henry B. Plant. You can still hear trains regularly pass through the historic downtown. But a lot has changed in Plant City in recent decades. Its proximity to Tampa and Orlando has brought in more people and more businesses. Residents say the small town feel lives on, but some are concerned that increased development could change that. Today, we'll hear stories from a diverse group of people who call Plant City home. This is the first in a special Florida Matters two-part series. The shows are part of WUSF's occasional series, Telling Tampa Bay Stories. We team up with University of South Florida journalism students to highlight different communities in our area. Most of the stories heard today came from interviews we recently recorded at the Plant City Photo, Archive, and History Center. Plant City has long been a farming town, and Judy Whitson works to try and keep it that way. The executive director of the Hillsborough County Farm Bureau paints a picture of the changing landscape of agriculture in Plant City. I'm Judy Whitson. I'm with Hillsborough County Farm Bureau. I'm executive director there. I've been in that office for 27 years now. I work in Plant City with the agriculture industry, so I'm working with farmers. And you cannot get any more salt to the earth than farmers. And that's basically what the whole community is made up of. The farmers are the same. They're farming the same ground they've been farming that their fathers and their grandfathers farmed before them. So that part of of Plant City hasn't changed a whole lot. The landscape of agriculture in Plant City area has changed tremendously over the last 20 years due to greening. The cilia that got in our citrus trees and and has killed off hundreds of thousands of acres of citrus. And the most disheartening thing for me has been when I drive around Plant City and the Dover and all of this area years ago was to see where a new grove had been pushed. And when you see roots on all the trees up, it was just heartbreaking because you knew that was another field that was gone. That was another grove that wasn't going to be producing oranges for us. Um, Florida has lost probably 70% of their orange crop in the last five years. Plant City has lost all of theirs. So all of that has turned into strawberries and other crops. We're growing peaches here now that we haven't been able to grow before. We got a little overrun several years ago when all the oranges were going out with strawberries and we went from 7,000 to 11,000 acres in just a couple of years. Well, we had a great market for 7,000 acres. We didn't have such a good market for 11,000 acres. So we're always looking for alternative crops in Plant City. We're introducing olive trees. We're introducing more avocados, more blueberries. We've got a lot more blueberries now than what we had 20 years ago. The average age of a farmer now is 56 years old, and they don't have children that want to go into that same industry. So a lot of the farmers, when they lost their citrus, they either lease out their land now or they sold it off completely. You know, every time you see a housing development go up, that was farmland. So, you know, again, that's a disheartening thing for me. Every time I see a new subdivision go up, it's like, oh, you know, we lost another one. So our agriculture land is reducing because of genetics and lost crops. The biggest problem still that has been for years and years is labor force, because who wants to go out and pick strawberries and who wants to pick oranges? And, you know, people don't want to do that as a career. 
So we have to bring in outside people to take care of those crops for us. There is a big migrant farmer worker population in Hillsborough County, especially in Plant City area. Um, it takes migrant labor to pick all seven to 11,000 acres of strawberries. They plant all those strawberries, they care for all those strawberries, and they pick all those strawberries. And all of that is done by hand. So we do have immigrants that come in. We have labor forces that we bring in from other countries that they come in on a work visa and they come in just to work. There's so much government regulation that it's getting harder and harder to get those workers here. But the immigrants work well within the community. Um, a lot of them have become part of the community. They've lived here for years and years. They've raised their families here. So it's been a win-win for us in Plant City having that worker population here. It's amazing that a lot of people in Plant City are transplants. A lot of people move to Plant City because it's a quiet, small town, and a lot of them don't get it. The powers that be, they don't remember sometimes that without agriculture in this town, they wouldn't have a town. As Judy mentioned, migrant labor has been critical to agriculture's survival in Plant City. The parents of Serenio Cervantes Flores brought him to the United States from Mexico when he was seven years old. They've worked as field workers on farms across the country while raising six kids. Cervantes Flores, a recent USF graduate, talks about how his parents' experience shaped him. His interview was recorded at his family home in Plant City. My name is Sirenio Cervantes Flores. I am 25 years old. Every summer we used to go up north um, Ohio and then we came back south during October. Uh, Plant City, I think, we came in 2002. My parents, the reason they chose here was because there's a lot of jobs that they can do. Uh, anywhere else, they probably can't get them because they require citizenship and stuff. So in here, you know, there's a lot of labor work there's a lot of strawberries that need to be picked, a lot of tomatoes that need to be picked that other people wouldn't do, so they fill that gap. And uh, it's hard work, but they do it because, you know, they can. And, you know, Plant City is known for having a lot of strawberry fields. That's one of the reasons I think they chose to be here. Um, it's difficult because I've also worked with them. You know, sometimes it's, it's very physically demanding work. You're out there in the sun. Um, sometimes you work you know, when it's cold, when it's hot, when it's raining or sprinkling, and you kind of have to be out there, otherwise you could lose your job, and you know, you don't want to do that, especially when you have a family to support. I've been working for a long time, and um, it's really tough, you know, going to school and then having to work on Saturdays, and I, I didn't, I mean, it's not, it's bad, but then again, you kind of see how my parents have to go through all of this, that's one of the motivations that I use to, you know, keep studying, going to school, uh, hopefully, you know, get a good paying job in the future and help them the way they've helped me. I have a degree in cell and molecular biology, but the reason I took it was so that I can prepare for medical school, which is uh, one of the main goals that I have right now. I want to go to family medicine. I think a lot of migrant community around here, they don't have access to healthcare. You know, if they get sick, you kind of just have to take pills, any take-home remedies, and hope that you don't get extremely sick, otherwise you have to go to the doctor, you have to find ways to, you know, pay for those bills. You know, that's one of the things that I want to go into, family medicine, try to promote preventive medicine, um, especially for my community, because I've seen how a lot of them have suffered. My family values education a lot, so I'm glad that them as a migrant people, they have contributed not only financially, but they're very supportive in my decision to continue uh, studying. Because I know a lot of people in my situation, you know, somebody who's undocumented, somebody who lives in the migrant community, you know, someone's like me shouldn't have a bachelor's degree, you know, but I did. And it's a lot of things because of the lessons that they've taught me, hard work, uh, dedication, education first. And, and I'm grateful that they have been supportive, you know, every step of the way.
Many of the farm owners working in Plant City today come from families who've lived there for generations. Alvin Futch's grandfather built a ranch in Plant City in the early 1900s. At 87, Futch is still keeping the family business alive. My name is Alvin Futch. The day I was born, I was born at home, 1931, a quarter of a mile from where I live today. My grandfather Cone, he was a good-sized farmer. He grew a lot of Irish potatoes and uh, had cattle and so forth. And my brother milked the cows, and my job was to feed the horses, and my younger brother was to feed the hogs and pump water for all the livestock every afternoon and every morning before we went to school. The ranch where we are now, my dad and mother put together a thousand acres of it, and my grandfather Cone owned the other thousand. And we farmed a hundred acres of it, growing feed crops for the cattle and growing corn for the horses and whatever. I still have 65 acres of strawberries and a hundred head of cattle. So that's what I'm still doing at 87 years old. I own 300 acres, and I bought it for my mother and dad, me and my three kids. They own parts of it. They helped me pay for it. And uh, they grew up here, and so they're part of it. They're now doing an agritourism event at our ranch, Fox Squirrel Corn Maze. This is the seventh year they've been doing it, and it has been very kind to them. And it's where uh, people from the cities can come out to the country and see all kind of things that goes on in the country. And they have hay rides and all kind of stuff for kids. I get offers all the time to want to buy part of the land and develop it and all this kind of stuff, and we don't do that. We don't need it. We're happy. Home is home. It always is. Alvin Fudge turned down offers to buy his land, but Ed Verner did not. The businessman talks about why his family chose to sell their farmland for development and how he's been involved with revamping Plant City's downtown ever since. My name is Ed Verner. Uh, I was coming to Plant City as a grandson of my grandmother my whole life, but my actually residing here began in about 1984. I was very much in love with the citrus industry, so I gravitated towards that immediately when I was offered a chance. My grandfather had been involved with citrus and almost all farming shipped by rail out of this city as far back as the 1920s. By the time I came along, I became a truck driver. I was actually hauling the fruit to the nearby plants. We were in citrus probably until the late 90s uh, when uh, we began to get out. There was a severe freeze in 1989, Christmas Day, actually, not a Christmas present from God. We had a really, really bad freeze that night, and it didn't kill but it was still devastating to the industry. And even more so was NAFTA when they passed the uh, North American Free Trade Agreement had decimated citrus profits in this area by about 24 cents a pound solid. Back then, that represented about a 30% cut in what local growers were getting for their orange juice product. When we got out, there was kind of a pressure for development. You could make a lot of money developing groves into rooftops. It was sad to me. I liked citrus. It was a product that employed a huge number of people. It was a giant industry in the Plant City area. But once you develop for rooftops, you can make a lot of money once, and then you're done. My grandfather came to Plant City as a 19-year-old boy with nothing but a little bit of capital and a lot of zest. And through the years, he became more and more involved with uh, several aspects in Plant City. Most of the businesses that I've been involved with uh, either sprang from his previous efforts or they were at least inspired by things he had done. So far, I guess since 1919, we're coming on our 100th anniversary now of having all of the uh, business interests we manage, managed from Plant City in downtown, by the way. I like Plant City's downtown. People frequently say, oh, I wish Plant City's downtown could be revitalized. But I remember in 1995 when I became involved in it more directly, it was dead then. We had 30% occupancy and we were offering 80% discounts, and we couldn't find tenants. Now we have almost 100% occupancy, and we're only offering about 15% discounts. I would argue now Plant City's downtown is fully revitalized. It's just now, what else does it add? We manage several hundred thousand square feet in Plant City's downtown, and I still admire the people who wish it could do more, and they get frustrated that we don't have a, a beer garden, or we don't have a tattoo parlor, or we don't have a nightlife. 
that's a fair criticism. It's still business professional and or antique and entertainment shopping oriented. And it's not a whole lot of young college kids, you know, just being young. We're still shy on the residential component in our downtown. Uh, I I've grew up in Lakeland, and I've watched their revitalization. And when I made a study of downtowns in Plant City compared to Mount Dora, St. Augustine, Savannah, Charleston, the thing we were lacking was the third, fourth, and fifth floors of the downtown buildings. But Plant City was only built three stories high. And uh, there's some conjecture about how that came to be. Some people say it was because you couldn't have a building taller than the Baptist Church steeple. And it's a chicken and the egg thing. You know, if you want to have high-quality residential in a downtown, you have to have something to do after 5 p.m. But if you want to have a beer pub or if you want to have a bakery or if you want to have a donut shop or even a place where you can buy a double-A battery for your remote control, then you have to have the residences. I don't really care whether somebody brings the egg or the chicken to town, but somebody's going to have to bring one or the other, and then we'll have it. I hope that a newcomer to Plant City would learn to appreciate more than just a strawberry. You know, a lot of people associate Plant City with only strawberries. But our heritage runs deep in a lot of directions. There have been some great personalities in Plant City's past that were wildly passionate about the strawberry industry. We've had other people that never touched it, and yet they made a massive impact. And frequently, I find newcomers bring new ideas, and if it ain't here yet, they'll build it. I'm Robin Sessingham. This is Florida Matters, and you're listening to part one of Telling Tampa Bay Stories, Plant City. Plant City has evolved into an ethnically and racially diverse town where a little more than half of its residents are white, about a third are Hispanic, about 14 percent are black, and other races make up the small remainder. Some African Americans interviewed for this series say that growing up, the layout of the rail town gave meaning to the term the wrong side of the tracks. They say black residents were often pushed to the city's less desirable neighborhoods and struggled to fit in with whites. Still, many members of Plant City's black community made important contributions to the town's history and continue to do so today. William Thomas Jr. shares an example in his story about the Bing Rooming House. The National Historic Site served as a hotel for African Americans during segregation. My name is William Thomas Jr. Uh, originally, I was born in Plant City. Uh, my father, William Thomas Sr., served in the military, so uh, I spent a lot of my time traveling the world and then came back home after uh, going to college and, and getting settled in. Coming back home, I was uh, voluntold to serve as president of the Improvement League of Plant City about four years ago, and that is a nonprofit that my father actually served as president on when he came back home. Uh, and one of the Improvement League of Plant City's uh, signature projects is the Bing Rooming House uh, African American Museum. That is a two-story structure here within the city limits. It served as a hotel for uh, blacks during the era of segregation. Um, it was owned by Ms. Jenny L. Bing and her husband, E.L. Bing Sr., it was one of the more successful and notable businesses during that time, uh, anchoring a, a black historic district in that area. So uh, one of the grandchildren deeded the house to the organization, and we took on that project to restore into a museum. We always try to uh, confirm, obviously, who stayed there. Muddy Waters was an often a frequent guest there. He was, uh, of course, notable in the jazz arena, musician. Um, we do have uh, those who said that James Brown stayed there. A lot of oral history accounts of that. Negro League baseball players was a major tenant of that location. Uh, we confirmed that through Major League Baseball a number of years ago, where their historians came in the town and, and affirmed that. Satchel Page stayed there when he was playing with the Homestead Grays and, and traveling between uh, the Florida circuit. And ironically, a number of school teachers we found out, being that it was a rooming house during the era of segregation, transportation was limited. There was a Marshall High School in Plant City at that time. There were a number of teachers that were recruited from Tampa that would come and stay at the rooming house and teach at the school and then commute back home on the weekends. Again, growing up in the military, uh, and coming back home, and I, I've been very uh, unapologetic about that, it was a sticker shock coming back home. Um, in the late 1990s, there was an aura of uh, still a racial division. Um, but I've been fortunate to see that change as the leaders in the community have changed and leaders in the city have changed. 
And one of the things you can tout about is the Bing Rooming House being uh, funded by the city. Uh, they invested a number of dollars into restoring that structure. I remember when we first took on that project and presented it to the city, there was a poll that was conducted through the uh, Plant City Courier, and that poll uh, reached out citywide, and there was a 80% turnout that they felt the Bing House was not a good idea. Now, moving forward, you know, 16, 17 years later, the Bing House is well attended by people from various diversities throughout the city of Plant City. So it just goes to show you that the mentality and the culture has indeed changed. We can attest that, you know, uh, at least 50% of the support that we have for the rooming house is from non-African Americans. So I think that's a good testament to show how I personally witnessed, even in this late era, the change of how people have accepted and embraced that, that piece of history in, in an effort to make sure we all come together. Retired school teacher Janelle Green Johnson has fond memories of the Bing House. She's the granddaughter of the original owners. She shares her experiences growing up as an African American in Plant City. My name is Janelle Green Johnson. I'm the granddaughter of Elijah Bing and Janie Wheeler Bing, who were the owners of the Bing Rooming House. The place we would all, all of the family would come together at holidays and tell stories and play. and It was just a place full of love. And so the restoration of the house means that we can kind of keep those memories. But it's also a place to house the history of African Americans here in Plant City and their accomplishments. Growing up in Plant City as a black child, we were very aware of segregation. There were places in downtown Plant City that you knew that you didn't venture into. I remember the colored only signs. You had the water fountain that you could drink out of. You couldn't go up to the counter to order a sandwich. But my parents taught us not to even go near the counter. I never drank out of one of the water fountains. Even going to the doctor's offices, they had the colored only side and the white only side. And of course, which side do you think was more pristine? It wasn't important that they swept or dusted or cleaned the area where blacks had to sit and wait. That's the way it was. The theater, they had one specific side, the floor. I can remember the floor being so sticky because they didn't bother to clean it. But if you wanted to go to the movies, that's what you had to go through. You didn't have DVDs and streaming and all of those kinds of things then. So those were just things that you had to go through. Uh, I can remember after desegregation and going to uh, the integrated schools, you would think in your mind that the relationships that you fostered within the classrooms would carry outside of the classroom. But I can remember one day walking downtown and seeing a classmate who walked across the street so that they would not have to interact with me. I think my parents and grandparents really raised us to be strong, independent, they explained to us what was going on. We knew what was going on, and we knew how to act and react in certain situations to make sure that we were safe. I was blessed in that I never saw anything horrific happen. I heard of things, but never saw anything. Um, like I said before, I knew there were restaurants there's a restaurant right here, right now, that I have never stepped foot in. Because I grew up knowing that if you wanted something, you had to go to the back door. I was not going to the back door. No one in my family was going to the back door. I've never stepped foot in there. My husband was not raised here. He's been there, and my son has been there. But I've explained to both of them why I don't go there. And that's just, you know, the way it is. There have been some changes, I think. I look at my son, who's 29, who has some very, very good 
strong relationships. One of his best friends is white, and he has been there for him no matter what the situation. I have friends. I can remember the first day that I went to school at Plant City High School, and it was just before the complete desegregation plan went into effect. And sitting at a table in the lunchroom alone, and there was this young lady who came over and sat with me. She was white, and, uh, and we're still friends to this day. Her name is Kathy Myers, and uh, we don't see each other all the time, but I remember that, and that meant a lot to me. When I was teaching at Cork Elementary, her daughter was a student at Cork, and so we reconnected. And her daughter and my son were in classes together, and so it was like full circle. I always included African-American history in whatever subjects I would be teaching. It wasn't just Black History Month. I had Hispanic kids in my class. I made sure that I included something about their ethnicity. So I spent a lot of my money and time researching to make sure that I had books that included all ethnicities so that children could see that it is like one big mixing pot, that everyone can do the same thing. I am somebody. Most of the interviews in this series were recorded at the Plant City Photo Archives and History Center. And we'll hear more about that museum later in the show. But first, the center's executive director, Gil Gott, tells us about Plant City's number one attraction, the Florida Strawberry Festival. My name is Gil Gott. I'm the executive director of the Plant City Photo Archives and History Center. When the opportunity came to get involved with the center, I thought this is my chance to learn more about the functions of this small city and let the people know. Very family-oriented. It's a a lot that's built around the churches. And also you find almost everybody belongs to some type of a civic club. Mentioning volunteers makes me think about the Strawberry Festival because the Strawberry Festival is one of the largest and, and best events in the country. And it could not exist at all if it weren't for volunteerism. And people in the city love it. Most people identify with the Strawberry Festival for numerous reasons. One, it's, uh, it's family-oriented. Uh, they don't have any alcohol there. It's also celebrating the fact that the strawberry is one of the biggest uh, industries in this area. It's uh, great entertainment now. It brings in a lot of youth. And they're growing flowers or raising pigs. We have an example of a three-year-old girl bringing in her cow to show. So that's something that you find it touches almost all, all lives in the community. And banks will actually just let almost all their people go to go out and volunteer. I mean, all the companies do. So that's something that really, really helps bring the, uh, the community together. Well, when they first started it, of course, they didn't know anything about festivals and fairs, and so you hire somebody to bring it in, and then they had a number of sideshows that they really didn't care for, and they wanted to be more family-oriented. So they did start doing their own, bringing in their own acts and things like that. But because it was popular, it began to grow more, and the more it grew, the more people got involved, the more they realized that it does help focus on the strawberry. The strawberry growers got more involved, the industry got bigger, and the festival got bigger. But it's, uh, it's been an amazing factor in the, in the growth of the Plant City area. You know what was fun? Back in 99, people started talking about building the world's largest strawberry shortcake. People came out of the woodwork. They came from everywhere, and they say, we're going to do this. We had hundreds, hundreds of volunteers. Strawberry growers donated all those strawberries. When Dixie helped us, they brought in a refrigerated tractor trailer. We went to San Clement and prepared all the strawberries there, put them into the truck, backed the truck down the street. Tim Martin and Bill Perolini built this huge table. It was eight feet wide and 104 feet long, <laughs> and we built the world's largest strawberry shortcake, and people didn't think that it could be done. And those are memorable times for, for me, just watching that all come together. Plant City held that record for world's largest strawberry shortcake until 2004 when it was broken in the Philippines. 
The Strawberry Festival was started in 1930 by the Plant City Lions Club and has grown a great deal. One staple of the festival throughout its long history has been crowning a Florida Strawberry Festival queen. Hannah Benton won the pageant in 2006 and says it was an experience she'll never forget. I'm Hannah Benton. Um, I am 30 years old. I own a business here in Plant City. I own a boutique. Ray Oak Boutique stands for Random Acts of Kindness. So I really didn't do pageants growing up. I did a few local pageants, but never won anything. It was literally, I enjoyed dressing up, and it was something that my mom and I could do together. I would have never thought that I would have actually won Strawberry Queen. And then I was actually going out for it in 2005, and I came down with Bell's Palsy, which is um, a paralyzation of the left side of my face, and mine went all the way down to my collarbone. So I ended up dropping out the week before the pageant, and um, I'll never forget my dad. Of course, it was hard to have to miss something that I had been looking forward to for so long. And my dad had looked at me and said, you know what, next year you're going to be able to do it. And Big and Rich is going to come to the festival, which was our favorite country band. And you are going to be able to meet them and represent our town when you meet them. So come, you know, December when they announced the artist for 2006, Big and Rich was the big finale. And it was just such a surreal moment because I was like, oh, my goodness, like, this could really happen. Um, I just went out and figured, you know what, why not give this a whirl? And I felt so honored to be selected that night. It was just such a neat experience. Strawberry Queen gives you a confidence. And also, it they do things like Miss Manners Night. Miss Peck McGinnis hosts you for Miss Manners Night. And it's something that happens right in the beginning. And she creates this beautiful meal, multiple courses, has the table set, you know, with utensils that I didn't even know why they were on the table. And she just teaches you how to be a lady and how to conduct yourself at 16 years old in these settings with the governor or with people that you wouldn't necessarily usually see a 16-year-old or 17-year-old sitting beside. Um, But also even just your confidence and speaking in front of people. It makes you think beyond yourself. And Things usually don't do that at that age, but whenever you are Strawberry Queen, you do see a difference when little girls, they look up to you and you're you're representing your community. Like I was not just Hannah Hodge at the time, I was a symbol for Plant City. I'll never forget, I was at Sam's Club in Brandon with my mom and I remember somebody stopping me asking if I was the Strawberry Queen that year. And I just thought that was the funniest, coolest thing. Here I am a senior in high school and this person recognized me and Brandon. Also just the mentors that Strawberry Queen gives you, they invest in you. And whenever your year is up, you're still a part of the community. Like my dad's not a farmer, you know, we weren't plant city money. We weren't anything like that, but they embraced me even though I didn't know these people. And now they are my family, like the people that I met that year are the ones that helped me to have the support and the success at Ray Oak, you know, 10 plus years later. But honestly, my grandpa, like 2006 made my grandfather's life. We have a tradition every year. I take him polka dancing, Senior Citizen Day, and the festival grandstands. And before we polka, we have to go to the Hall of Fame and look at my picture because again, he's 81. And he will talk about, he'll introduce me as the Strawberry Queen, and it's been 12 years. But, um, yeah, it's it's uh, like nothing else. <laughs> it's just like one big symbol of who Plant City is. I mean, people come from all over, and it's so cool that they do to come to our itty-bitty town. I always say we actually have traffic during the Strawberry Festival. But it's not just the people that come from out of town. It's the people that live here to see, as a business owner, Our number one selling shirt is a shirt that simply says home and the O is a strawberry. And we ship it all over to people that no longer live here but still have that pride for Plant City. Owen Johnson is one of the many vendors serving up food each year at the Strawberry Festival. But that's just a side job for this restaurant owner. His family has built a food dynasty in Plant City, and many people say their restaurants are must-see attractions. My name is Owen Johnson. I own Johnson's Barbecue here in Plant City. Uh, Fred's Market Restaurant is my dad's next door. That's my dad. My dad's Fred. Grew up here in Plant City. Grew up in the restaurants a lot. The Strawberry Festival here in town, we've worked that 
from the time I was very little. I mean, six, eight years old, I remember catering parties with my grandfather. Still can picture the big stainless steel tables he had in his catering room with all of the pork butts laid out, getting those seasoned up and smoking those for the festival. I mean, I remember that a lot. See, I graduated in 01. We opened that location of the Johnson's Barbecue Restaurant in 03. So from the time I was 20, that was kind of my kind of my deal. Our business has kind of grown out of Plant City, kind of being the central point. We have a lot of customers that we see, if not daily, a couple times a day, you know. We've got the traditional staples, the fried chicken, the collard greens, the mashed potatoes, macaroni. But we do have specials each day, you know, so you can come to our restaurant and eat something different each day. But I think, I think for me, I, I underestimate how much it's a destination place for a lot of people. People that travel from long ways away to eat lunch with us on a Sunday. Um, it has become a place where, you know, people go there from the time they're real little and they still see the same people in there working. I mean, we've got servers that have been there as long as I've been around. You know, our kitchen manager has been with us 20 years. Um, so I think that has been the biggest contributor to it being a real meeting place for the community. You know, it's it's astonishing to me when, like, political candidates want to come through Plant City, that's where they want to stop. You know, Rick Scott came through, city commissioners meet, original Bush came through. I know when I was little, when the Cincinnati Reds were here, Daryl Strawberry and Deion Sanders and Rob Dibble, I remember seeing all those guys in the restaurant. I like to tell myself it's the food because it's the way everyone's grandmother cooked normally. I mean, they used a lot of butter. They used a lot of bacon grease. You know, it wasn't wheat, non-GMO flour. They made biscuits. You know, it was real food. But I think the sense of community is a big deal, you know, and I've, I've come to appreciate that more as we've grown. And it's not, you know, as we grow into new markets, they don't have that community feel. But the food tends to bring those people there, and hopefully one day those restaurants are as traditional and generational as Plant City has been. Um, Lakeland's a lot like that. I mean, Lakeland's got those core people that come every day, and, you know, they, they recognize our restaurant as a family business. You know, I think of leadership, particularly when your name is the company, you know, leadership is such an opportunity. More than it is to teach somebody, it's such an opportunity to learn from my 450 employees. I mean, that gets me going every day to know that we've accomplished what we have, but it also, I think the entrepreneur side of everyone's mind is never satisfied with where we're at, you know? So finding new ways to make more resonance with our employees, you know, finding new ways to deliver a better greeting when our customers walk in the door. You know, I mean, it comes down to those little details, finding better ways to serve hotter, fresher biscuits every day. There is a tendency to try to make it trendy because that's what's trendy right now. But we're not that. I mean, we're not trendy. We're down-home southern comfort food, and we've always been that. I'm Robin Sussingham. This is Florida Matters, and you're listening to Part 2 of Telling Tampa Bay Stories, Plant City. The purpose of the Plant City Photo Archives, it's in our mission, it's just that we want to collect and preserve the history and the heritage of the community. We want people to see, this is where you came from. These are your people. This is how you became who you are. And we want to make that available to the people and interpret it, write write the stories for them. We know there are approximately 120,000 images, uh, land deeds going back in the early 1800s, we have maps, so we have a very nice 1919 map of Plant City, uh, military photographs, we have yearbooks, marching parades, anything you could think of. People who have relatives in Plant City, people who've lived in Plant City, people who have just heard of Plant City, uh, will somehow find us and come in to try to learn more about it. We have people every day, it seems, that come in and say, I've got just two minutes to spend and I want to just kind of look at some photographs. and. Uh, Two hours later, they're still sitting there with these binders piled up on the table, going through all these photographs. So that's a train going past. At one point in our history, we had over 100 trains a day going through, and today we have 22 trains going through. 
we're always working with the with the people out there who want to know more about their history. On a daily basis, people bring photos in. We have to process them and try to clean them up and preserve them so they don't deteriorate. And we get calls from uh, and emails. We get a lot of emails. We had a, a gentleman who emailed us from California saying his grandmother was from Plant City, but nobody has any photos of her, and he thought she was here in the 30s, but she moved away. We found her photograph in a yearbook, 1937 yearbook, I think it was, emailed him that photograph, and he was so delighted that he asked us to email the entire, the whole yearbook. So we did, but find out one of his grandmother's sisters was also in that school that year, so. And we get these frequently. Had a man called from North Carolina, he said, I was going through my grandfather's barn, and I found a can that said, Horsey Company on it, do you want it? I don't know what he's talking about, and I said, sure. So in the mail came two cans that said J. William Horsey Company, orange juice, and I went into our collection of uh, photographs and found 43 photographs of the Horsey Company. I didn't know we had them. So now I've written a story about the Horsey Company, which is one of the largest uh, citrus-producing companies in the the nation. If you notice, there are changes going on in the newspaper world. They don't cover what they used to. Some newspapers are going out of business. People aren't taking photographs anymore. We're beginning to lose our history. And I thought, we need to inculcate in our youth the concept of the preservation of history. And I thought, how do I do that? I said, well, why don't I start a junior archivist club? And then one day my wife showed me a, a catalog of children's books, and it was called B.A. Document Detective Series. So that's it. We founded the junior archivist club, and we called it B.A. History Detective and they liked the concept. of They didn't know what an archivist was, but they liked the detective part. So now we're teaching them. The first program we did was be a photograph detective. We took photographs and showed them, and I bought them huge magnifying glasses that they absolutely loved. And then they examined and, and analyzed all of these photographs one at a time. And what's in there? What are they doing? Why are they doing it? And the, the kids, they're loving it. So we started with one. <laughs> but we started with one, then we had three, then we had five. Now we've got about nine of the uh, children and then three mothers and one grandmother. Uh, they uh, par- also participate because it's such an interesting program. The two things we really try to make uh, clear to them is that the only reason you can look at these things and examine them is because we've saved them. Save your photographs. Now when you go back and look at them, you'll learn about what happened before. When nine-year-old Jaden Felix isn't collecting Legos or playing with his two pet goats, he's helping keep Plant City history alive as a junior archivist. He talks about some of his experiences with the club. My name is Jaden Felix. I am nine years old. I'm a junior archivist. A junior archivist is basically somebody that's younger than normal archivists that that save photos for historians to figure out what happened in the past. We look at photographs from Plant City a long time ago. I learned that during World War II, they stopped the Plant City Strawberry Festival in case, like, Germany or Japan or other countries attacked the United States. So they stopped the festival at the beginning of World War II, and then after World War II, the Strawberry Festival was back. So here's one of my stories where we were bringing in artifacts, and I bring in a Lego car from 2009. They were pretty surprised because it still looks like Molder Day cars, but they don't sell those anymore. That was the same year I was born, January 30th, 2009. I was born here. I feel like I'm home in Plant City, and I like how Plant City has sometimes warm and humid weather, which is my favorite condition. The only thing that is missing is the beach, but it's pretty close. The Junior Archivist Club is a perfect fit for 11-year-old history buff Hannah Rice. She talks about why she enjoys the program and shares another one of her passions, competing in livestock shows. 
My name is Hannah Rice. I'm 11 years old and I am a junior archivist. I like to take pictures. I want to be like a photographer. Mostly I like to take pictures of like the outdoors and I take a lot of pictures for my family. I also like learning about Old Plant City. My grandma actually takes me to classes. It's cool because me and her we don't spend a lot of time together, but we spend like some time together. And I like that one-on-one -on -one time. To me, history is actually cool because you get to learn like more about what you came from, what was stuff like before you got here, stuff like that. I like adventure and history sort of takes me through an adventure to like look at new stuff. I actually live in Lithia. We live on sort of a ranch. We have eight turkeys, two dogs, about eight cows, and two pigs. So last year was my first year showing something at the Strawberry Festival. I showed a pig last year. I won sixth place with a bunch of like high schoolers. My brother, he got first place. And um, I also show stuff at the Hillsborough County Fair. I won second place for that one, and my brother got third, so I beat him, and then he beat me, so it's fair. The best way to find out what to do in Plant City is to ask people who have lived there their whole lives, like Tracy and Jay Antle. They talk about what's come and gone in the community and why they've stuck around all these years. My name is Tracy Antle, born in Michigan, raised in Plant City. I'm Jay Antle. I was born in Plant City and have lived here all my life. Uh, we have been married 30 years. Uh, there used to be a department store in Plant City that was called Zares. Uh, I worked there in receiving and she was a cashier. That After about it. three months of asking her out, she finally went out with me and we've been together since. Growing up, there was just characters. I uh, wouldn't even personally know them, but it's people that you would see. Uh, one gentleman that walked everywhere. Every time you drive into Plant City, he would be walking down some street. He was yeah. a substitute teacher. Yeah, mm -hmm. he walked everywhere. Mr. Richards. Um, just, yeah. just didn't know where he was mm -hmm. going, but he was, always seemed like he had a destination to go to. Mm -hmm. And there was a man who used to ride the bike all the time named Jolly. Everybody called him Jolly. Just and I, I think that was uh, ironic because I don't think he was really a nice man. <laughs> I think he was, I think that was a uh, play on words because yeah. uh, he used to carry a, a cane and he threatened to hit you with it, uh, and, yeah. but they called him Jolly. Um, it's grown so much mm -hmm. uh, since we went to high school. seems like there's something new popping up every day. We're like just some of the few that have lived here all our life and decided not to move away and, and just we're just going to stay here so it just it just feels good and it, it's nice to go to places that are still around there's not the much snail groves the yes, restaurant not, here is mm -hmm. uh i remember going to it when i was a kid with my grandfather strawberry hut where the cubans are they mm -hmm. seem like they've been there forever a lot of things have changed from where we met at Zares, it's no longer there. Uh, my first job was Burger Chef, it's no longer there. You know, so things have changed a lot. The Raider Room, when we were in high school, there was the Raider Room, there where the McDonald's is now. So That was an arcade. It was an arcade. A video yeah. arcade. Where I, teenagers hang out. And uh, I worked in a grocery store, it was called Felton's. There is a Felton's in Plant City, but there used to be uh, three of them in Plant City. So it's like, We've worked places and, you know, been to places that are no longer there. It gets frustrating at times. Uh, certain streets that you get on, the traffic is uh, unbearable. But, you know, I can understand why people would want to move to Plant City. It's a great location between Orlando and Tampa. It's close to I-4. Sometimes we get aggravated with how busy it is, but then there are times where, like, come on Chick-fil-A. When are you <laughs> going to build a Chick-fil-A? We're, we're hoping that... As it gets larger, that some of the things that we have to drive a little further to get to, we won't have to drive so far. I remember when I was in uh, high school, the Felton's I worked at was right down from the Strawberry Festival. 
and I remember listening to Conway Twitty out there singing, and he was pretty big back in those days. I mean, even in the early 80s. So they, they did have some big names that would come in. It does seem like the Strawberry Festival's grown, though. Yeah. From what it was. When from we what were. it was. It used to be, it seemed like it was more the old country festival mm-hmm. type atmosphere, but now it's so many food vendors and mm-hmm. rides and games. It's kind of, it lost its, uh, I don't know, the farm aspect to it. And they still have a little bit of that, but there's so much built up around it. I think that's what's changed for us. One of the last times we went, we noticed just, we went, I think it was a Sunday, and it's like you couldn't hardly move. It was so packed full of people. That was when Alabama was there, right? You could not, you could not, like, move. (laughs) We have three sons, and all three sons are here, and now we have two grandchildren. Uh, My parents are here, and we just never want to leave. I think it's just the the pace. I mean... Mm -hmm. And the location is great. You can get to anywhere you want to go, and it's really not that, that far. But it still has that small-town feel, even though it's it's grown. Uh, it's the memories that when we drive by the, the high school, looking at the water tower with the Raider on it, or the Strawberry Water Tower over by the ballpark. Mm-hmm. It's just uh, those are just symbols of Plant City. Yeah, Plant City is home for us. We, we travel, we go on trips and everything, mm-hmm. but it's always nice to see mm-hmm. the sign saying, okay, you know, Plant City, Plant City 20 miles, mm-hmm. you know, it's like almost home, almost mm-hmm. home. That's it for today's show. You can find videos of the Plant City Photo Archives and Johnson Barbecue Restaurant on our website, WUSFnews.org. Just click on the Florida Matters tab. And Florida Matters is now available as a podcast. Search for it wherever you get your podcasts or find a link to subscribe by clicking on today's show at WUSFnews.org. This episode was produced by Stephanie Colombini, Mark Schreiner, Jeanette Abramson, and USF student journalists Aldo Pacini, Yara Zayas, Sam Newlin, Chevelli Guzman, Josh Fialo, Erica Cole, and Becca Dembski. Florida Matters is a production of WUSF Public Media. I'm Robin Sussingham. Thanks for listening.